Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. It is my privilege to welcome to Talk Nation Radio this week, Tamika Drew. She is the National Director of the Liberty Tree Foundation. We've had some other great guests from that organization in the past on Talk Nation Radio, and they have a terrific and very relevant website, a timely website, this week, nomorestolenelections.org, which has a voter bill of rights that I recommend everybody read. Uh, Tamika Drew, welcome to Talk Nation Radio. Thank you for having me. Uh, glad to have you. Uh, talking about stolen elections uh, seems to be Donald Trump's area in uh, the corporate media, and uh, talking about rigged and corrupted elections seems to be uh, isolated to him. But what you mean by it is not exactly what he might means by it, I think. is that Is that right? That's right. He's trying to take our work away from us, right? But we still have a lot of work to do. Um, when I originally heard Donald Trump talking about the possibility of a stolen election, and especially when he started using that verbiage, it really made me think about a wolf in sheep's clothing, for one, about just because you're saying that an election is going to be stolen doesn't mean you are not trying to steal it, right? <laughs> so that, that was really my first, you know, thought about it. Um, and of course, uh, the way in which I see uh, Donald Trump trying to steal the election is by creating uh, voter intimidation or calling for voter intimidation and egging on uh, violence uh, from his, his supporters and his fan base. And uh, it's become more really than a spectacle. I mean, you hear about it in the media, talked about it as the spectacle and um, in entertainment purposes, but, you know, as a person of color, uh, when you're going out to the polls and you're going and you know that there are very real white supremacists waiting for you there, unhappy that you're going to be casting a vote, it doesn't matter if Donald Trump is behind in the polls. All of a sudden, you're feeling like no matter what you were going there to cast your vote about, whether it's a proposition, whether it's a local election, you feel worried. You feel like your right to vote is, is being called into question. And I think that as far as democratic culture, that's something that in this election is really being affected and kind of being called into question. What, what are we building? What, what do we accept as a part of our democratic culture when it comes to elections and, and how we view election fraud and, and stealing elections and, and the right to vote and voter suppression? I know that uh, we at RootsAction.org uh, and you guys at Liberty Tree Foundation are planning to set up a, a petition that people will find at RootsAction.org to the Justice Department uh, on this. But what can, what else can people do uh, between now and the election and on Election Day? What should they look for? Who should they report uh, intimidation and other uh, abuses to? How can people remedy this this immediate problem? Yes, that's a great question, David, and it's interesting because we've never really needed to prepare for something like this in the way that, you know, when, when Obama ran for president uh, the first time, we saw a little bit of, of this uh, going on, but, but nothing uh, like what we really think will be in store at the polls. So um, this petition calling for the federal government for the Department of Justice to step in 
and protect voters, make sure that voter rights are protected at the schools, especially in targeted areas, poor areas, uh, where people of color, where students are going to be voting. Um, you know, specifically, he has, he's definitely been focusing on Philadelphia. I know that's going to be an area that we need to uh, think about. We, we definitely need to be diligent in the way we think about uh, how we go out to the polls. Um, we need to be taking handwritten notes and accounts of any voter intimidation that happens. We need to think about how we can mobilize ourselves in groups and, and make sure that people feel safe traveling together to the polls this year. Uh, all of these are really unfortunate things to think about, but when we have the very real threat of violence, uh, we need to be taking precaution the same way that you know women have to take precaution when we... When we walk down the streets, uh, unfortunately, uh, it's, it's a, kind of a similar um, culture being being created. Uh, the voting rights, the voting section of the Civil Rights Division of the Department of Justice is kind of who specializes in this and who will be investigating it and who uh, definitely you would want to complain to. And they actually have an election complaint report online that you can easily file even from your phone after you're done voting. Uh, so we can, and, and then also uh, at voter assemblies, uh, we can organize voter assemblies in your local area. You can get more information about that at the nomorestolenelections.org website. Uh, and at those voter assemblies, we can talk about the voter intimidation that happened and, and get the accounts and kind of start to put the data together. And with this data, we can decide what we need to do, what the next steps can be after the election. If there's a massive amount of, of voter intimidation at the polls, uh, it's definitely bound to affect different elections, not just the presidential election, but there are other things on the ballot and other races that are going to be contentious that those you know, really need to be looked at, and we need to make sure that we're working together you know, with lawyers and with uh, organizations who have been working on the front lines of this for many elections passed on the different remedies, uh, depending on exactly what happens on Election Day. So maybe people should go in groups to vote, and maybe that would boost turnout rather than than shrinking it. I don't know. But can, what about, I mean, it seems the smart way to get pulled over by a police officer this day, at least uh, if you have a certain kind of skin, uh, is to is to live stream it uh, on, on the internet uh, while it's happening. Is that... Uh, is that useful? Is that, I mean, will you be told to put your camera away? I'll tell you, one of the tools that I've been working on putting together right now is is a group of resources for voters because it's different in different locations. So some places you're able to take video and audio of what happens inside the polling place. Other places you are not allowed to. And so there are several organizations who have taken it upon themselves, a couple um, education institutions as well, students who have taken this on as their thesis in different times uh, to really find all of the different, um, especially for videotaping and audio taping at the different polling places all over all the different states. So we will also have that as a resource coming uh, live on the website, working to hopefully have that live this week. Uh, yeah, that's definitely one of the strategies is trying to know exactly what can take place in your polls, in your polling place. One of the interesting um, news bits that came out uh, last week, I believe, was the Texas police officers who were wearing the pro-Trump hats. Um, the thing that's chilling about that is the fact that in Texas, uh, where this happened, 
the only people who are allowed inside of a polling place with a firearm are police officers, and they're allowed to have uh, firearms whether they're on or off duty. So, in essence, if someone were, you know, if, if you're a police officer in Texas and you decide to listen to Trump's call to go and, and talk to every single person of color that comes out, make sure there's no bad hombres who have um, voted twice, um, you know, one of those people could be a firearm-wielding police officer, and, and they're allowed to, to have it in their holster there. And I, I just think that these types of issues are, 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 really, are really dangerous, and they really bring up a lot of issues, especially for voters of color, PTSD, everything that's happening. You know, you have police officers shooting people dead daily, um, and... Uh, I can definitely see it happening for voting. You know, there's, there's, in, in the minds of, of black and brown people in this country right now, I think it's, there aren't very many surprising things happening. So it's, it's definitely scary, to the least. We're speaking with Tamika Drew, National Director of the Liberty Tree Foundation. Uh, so correct me if I'm, I'm wrong, and maybe you have some, some information on this, but this, this phenomenon, this feared phenomenon of people voting twice uh, is actually virtually non-existent, uh, whereas the phenomenon of people being intimidated at the polls and people, particularly people of color, showing up and discovering that their name is no longer on the rolls and at best they can vote on a provisional ballot that's likely to get uh, tossed out or forgotten or not dealt with for a week. Uh, These are actually real phenomena. Is that accurate? That's exactly exactly accurate, David. And and it's being reported every day, uh, the actual data behind uh, these, these numbers. Of, of voter fraud and extra voting that really doesn't happen. So we know that those are false flags. We know that that's not a real reason, but there always needs to be some kind of an excuse, you know, to go out there and to have something to do. And clearly this is just the this, this story, this entertainment that is being spun, and, and then we, you know, have this as this, obviously false reason that isn't backed up by any any data. However, this is the first election where the Voting Rights Act has been gutted, and everybody's been talking about that, but it, it brings in this extra element of the fact that we're going to have, you know, less federal election observers there due to the fact uh, of what happened with the Supreme Court and the Voting Rights Act in 2013. So, um, we're going to have less people who actually are supposed to be there and know what they're doing and are, are there in an official capacity to say, hey, this, this is the type of intimidation that was happening. This is the type of voter suppression that was happening. This is what we saw. A lot of those people aren't going to be there. So what's the recourse? You know, we're really hoping that, you know, in some way, everything's got to shift. We know that the electoral you know, part of our democracy is for the people, and we have to start taking a little bit more responsibility. So in the ways that we can, we have to help each other, help our neighbors who we know are, are being targeted and who might be affected, and figure out ways to best protect each other and ourselves and our, and our right to vote. Because, you know, if even if, if, if you're able to vote, if someone in, in your city or in your town or in your state is not able to vote, there is not a democracy. We are not living in a democracy when that is what's happening. And every, I think everyone agrees with that. So we have to find a way <laughs> to work together. And, and unfortunately, this year, one of those ways is to figure out how to document 
and and fight against voter intimidation, uh, racialized, violent voter intimidation. So I, I want to ask you about the the machines, though, because for many years now, uh, some of us have, of course, been uh, pointing out that these machines are black boxes and there's no way to verify what goes into them, what comes out of them. It's it's a matter of faith-based uh, vote counting. You just hope they happen to be counting the votes accurately and they're very easily hacked and manipulable. So uh, the more skeptical or paranoid, perhaps, that you are, the more you worry uh, about elections being stolen in that manner, as well as, you know, 18 other ways in which uh, voting is suppressed or manipulated. But uh, only in recent weeks, only, only since it became something that could be blamed on Donald Trump slash Vladimir Putin, have we seen all these mainstream corporate news reports about just that, that that you can't, uh, you know, that there's no verifiable way uh, to count the votes with these machines, Uh, except that you weren't supposed to care about that. You were just supposed to get mad at Vladimir Putin and Donald Trump. Uh, What's the the reality here? Uh, I mean, is there... Is there something to be concerned about, uh, whether or not we've learned about it from some alleged Russian uh, hacking? You know, is there a real problem here? Right. Well, I mean, I I definitely agree with you. I think that there there is a problem, and you're right that nobody thinks about really the depth of the problem until there's some kind of uh, interesting excuse to think about the problem and, and somebody to point a finger at. But the fact of the matter is that there's no reason for us to think that the, any kind of ballot gets counted right now, whether we're, you know, no matter what kind of ballot we're casting, whether we're casting a paper ballot, whether we don't know how that happens. It's not a citizen-run, open, uh, you know, type of a process where the ballots get counted. I mean, we cast a ballot, uh, a partisan uh, election commissions have oversight of this. Uh, we don't know what happens stuff goes into the ether, and we're totally hands-off about it, and we just have to have this faith. And what we're learning now with all of these leaks and all of this information is that, you know, our faith, clearly, we don't have anything to have faith in. (laughs) There are so many different ways in which, uh, you know, I've never been one to think that the ballots are currently being counted. And one of the only ways I think we can even begin to get towards uh, a democracy we can believe in is to have overhauls and system change, like what we're calling for with the, vote, the voter bill of rights. But with these, uh, you know, with the machine and computerized ballot mechanisms, there's so many different ways these things could go wrong. If it's hooked up to the Internet, it can obviously be hacked by anyone. Um, and even the ones that are not hooked up to the Internet can be manipulated in different ways. Of course, any kind of uh, computer system can. But I think where we really need to focus our energy uh, as a movement is definitely how we can infuse more citizen oversight, where we can infuse more people-led and, and um, you know, transparency and, and openness to the process and to, you know, the ballots being counted, because there's absolutely no reason why we can't all be kind of uh, uh, tallying up the vote. There are plenty of ways that people do this all over the world, uh, and they have uh, more robust democracy uh, in their elections than we do, unfortunately. There's been a couple studies that I've read that have come out recently that, that do not rank us number one, not even in the top five 
of electoral democracy. So clearly, we need some help. We need to be looking to some other some other places for help. Well, you do have a great uh, voter bill of rights drafted at nomorestolenelections.org uh, that includes uh, a right to vote that can't be taken away, but also uh, a, a, a remedy in terms of the vote counting. I mean, you would count publicly paper ballots. Am I right? That's correct. Um, and that's really the only way we can we can know how things have turned out. Can we really trust, especially now that a government is so owned by corporations, are we really going to trust that those corporations are going to count our votes and then tell us how, how, what we've decided? Um, you know, citizen public counting of paper ballots, every single person gets a ballot, every ballot is counted. Um, it's simple, and it's really the only way. And, and any time we have this secrecy or these ways that things happen that, that we're meant to not understand, we know that there's a problem. That's not democracy. That's not how we're supposed to be set up. You know, that's not for the people anymore. That's serving something and someone else. Yeah. And and every single person, I think, is a key phrase there. There are, I think now, you may have more recent figures, I think we're up to maybe five or six states that have made voter registration automatic in some way, uh, whereas we're around 40 states that have made military draft registration automatic. Uh, so you can grasp where our priorities are as a people. But uh, in, in most states, you're not, uh, you're not registered unless you jumps through a bunch of hoops, and if you're convicted of a felony, there goes your registration. Uh, or if you change your address, you lose your registration. I, I mean, it, it, it need not be this way, right? The bureaucracy uh, behind voting is, is really sad. Uh, it really, you shouldn't have to do, so, you know, so certain states require affidavits. You have to sign affidavits to be able to vote. Um, certain States, you have to have a specific kind of an ID, uh, which may be difficult for a lot of people to have. There's, there's no reason for that. Every single person should be able to cast a ballot and, and have, they have their right to, you know, put in their, their ability to decide. And if we don't think people should be able to do that, we need to stop calling this a democracy. We need to start figuring out what exactly this is. <laughs> but if it is a democracy and it's something that we're trying to continue build and tweak and make more robust. We need to make sure that every single person uh, has the right to vote, and it's easy to vote. Even things like having to uh, ask for a day off or ask for time off to be able to go and cast your ballot, that is very limiting and suppressive for many voters. Uh, you can't just take time off on election day. To <laughs> you might lose your job if you do that. So making Election Day a national holiday where every single person, no matter what you do for a living, you have the ability to go and, and cast your ballot. You know, voter turnout would be higher, uh, and we would have a, a lot easier of a time all around. When, when you say every single person, just to be a little more specific, do you mean 18 and above? Do you mean citizens? Do you mean residents? Do you mean felons? Do you mean tourists visiting the United States? Who, who's, <laughs> who, who's in there? Well, yeah, every voter, every voter. <laughs> so, yeah, so definitely, um, you know, the Voter Bill of Rights calls for enfranchising ex-offenders. It's definitely not fair uh, for anyone due to, you know, being convicted of crime, not being able to vote, 
um, is absolutely unfair. Even people who live within uh, Washington, D.C., within the District of Columbia, aren't allowed to vote. So, um, you know, allowing them, I think they should be able to vote. <laughs> well, um, well, well, they can vote. They just can't vote for a, a real representative in Congress uh, because they aren't a state. Well, right, and that's, that's a, a big part of it. I mean, you have to be able to understand that everyone is equal when you're going out there and you're casting your vote. And when you feel like something is limiting you, you know, when you feel like you're living in Puerto Rico and, and you don't matter as much as everyone else in terms of your uh, electoral democratic rights, that's not okay. Yeah. Another reform you have in the Voter Bill of Rights, a nonpartisan election commission. What, what would that be? Well, I mean, it would definitely mean that you wouldn't have what we have right now, which means that ballots are impossible to get on because we have certain states which make it, uh, you have to uh, collect a certain amount of signatures, so many thousand signatures in a certain way, and then different companies can get involved and make sure certain signatures of yours are invalidated so you're not able to get on the ballot. Um, you know, it's, we really need to make sure that no matter who's in charge, they're not in charge to be able to make sure their political party is able to get in. We need to have, um, uh, you know, different kinds of people being represented uh, when it comes to the, the electoral commissions and also when it comes to the debate. Uh, not being able to hear everyone who is on the ballot uh, that you're able to vote for is is preposterous in this country when we have so much access and so much of an ability to uh, be able to share information, to keep certain uh, politicians off the stage because they're not a part of the uh, parties that are in charge, uh, is, is very undemocratic. Indeed. The, another reform uh, in the Voter Bill of Rights, it, ranked choice voting or instant runoff voting. This is on the ballot for people to uh, vote for themselves in, in the state of Maine and in some localities as I'm, that I'm aware of uh, this election season right. uh, to create this reform. But what is it briefly for people and then what, how would it help? Well, instant runoff voting is basically a situation where you get to choose uh, a ranking system, so you wouldn't just cast one vote. You would say, this is my first choice, this is my second choice, this is my third choice, and then they tally that all up to decide kind of um, uh, who, you know, until one candidate receives the majority, uh, the counting continues. So we wouldn't have to have this lesser evil type of a thought process. We could say, you know, we can vote with the way that we see things and we can see how everything falls. And uh, doing instant runoff voting or, or ranked choice voting, proportional representation voting, uh, is not a new concept at all. It's not something that is difficult to understand. There's countries that are doing it. There are cities that are already doing it, like you mentioned. Um, I'm pretty sure there are a couple cities in California that are doing it. I know San Francisco does it. Um, Australia does uh, instant runoff voting. Yeah. Um, I think it's a great idea, especially considering we have third-party candidates right now in this presidential election that a lot of people um, want to know more about and a lot of people would love to support, but they feel like uh, they can't in, in some instances because of 
the way that our our system is set up. It, it seems, though, that the real uh, corruption of our elections, even if we fixed all these other angles and we got rid of gerrymandering and we got rid of the Electoral College and 18 other reforms, it's the money. I, I mean, it, it's, it's bought and paid for if you don't have tons and tons of money or you aren't willing to take orders uh, from those who do. You just can't participate as a candidate. Uh, how do you fix that? I mean, we, we absolutely have to repeal Citizens United. You know, it, it, we cannot have corporations being people, and we can't have money being speech. Uh, it's definitely something that sucks the ability for us to have a working democracy just out of, out of the running, really. Um, and, and we're not going to have equal access while we still have corporate control of, of our elections and really of our politicians at this point. Uh, so, yeah, definitely we need to make sure that corporations are not seen as people. And I think that solving that problem would definitely do, do a lot. But we need to make sure that we have public financing uh, available for candidates. We shouldn't be having uh, uh, the corporations being able to just buy politicians and then in turn, you know, buy positions. But sort of have it available on the scale of some decades back or absolutely ban private spending and make the elections fully publicly funded? Well, I think full public financing uh, would be what what we really need. Um, we see what has happened. <laughs> we see how things have escalated. Um, now, I think the only way that we can really have fair democracy for the people is to make sure that we have public financing. We'll always have people that are limited and, and unable to, and ideas that are limited if we are constantly having to rely on corporations and, and, and the free market to come in and, and throw money and fund the, the good things that we need to happen. And so are we looking at either a different Supreme Court, a Congress with a stronger backbone, or a, a constitutional amendment? Uh, or is this something we can start at the local and state levels? I mean, how do you fix a broken system from within a, a broken system? <laughs> You've pretty much rattled off all the possibilities there, haven't you? Um, we I, I hope not. I'm hoping for something else. <laughs> for more possibilities. And I think that there are, I mean, and I think that's really the answer is that we do have to approach these problems uh, in, in many different ways. Uh, I know here in California, it is up uh, as, a, as an amendment to the Constitution uh, for corporations not to have speech and to repeal Citizens United. Um, and I know that it's um, definitely something Congress can do, but the more and more we talk about it, and I think the more pushback we can get from people and the general public and the understanding of what's happening and why, uh, the more we can, you know, put pressure on our, on our uh, politicians and the people that we are electing into office. 
It's something we're going to have to keep working on. Tamika Drew is the National Director of the Liberty Tree Foundation. The website you want to go to for information you will need on Election Day is nomorestolenelections.org. Also check out rootsaction.org for a petition to the Civil Rights Division of the Justice Department. Tamika Drew, thank you very, very much for coming on Talk Nation Radio. Thank you so much for having me, David. This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. All past shows can be heard at davidswanson.org. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. If you are listening to a nonprofit station, Please support that station. Talk Nation Radio is funded by contributors at davidswanson.org. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Until next time.